Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys. I love that bumper. It makes me feel like I'm, I'm really going to be like a superhero coming through. It's very exciting. You're going to be disappointed if that's the case, if you're thinking about that. Hey, um, I just want to mention one thing before we really get started in, um, in the text this morning. We received a worship guide, and this is kind of a big deal for our communications team that we've, uh, we finally have brought this little piece of paper back. We love this little piece of paper because now you have all the responsibility to know things, right? So we've given you the knowledge, and now you got to read it. I do want to mention one thing that's uh, in there tonight, right here in the venue at 6 o'clock. Uh, we've got a special prayer service. We are going to be uh, having an opportunity to give Bibles to our sixth graders and then spend some time praying over them. We do that annually as well. And then today as well, tonight as well, we are ordaining our new deacons. And so I encourage you to be here tonight. We're going to spend some time praying over those groups and engaging them through our monthly prayer service. And so 6 o'clock right here in the venue. If you've got your Bible, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 11. We're going to finish up our series uh, in Genesis. We'll come back to it. Obviously, Genesis uh, 11 doesn't end the book, but we are going to take a little break through the Easter season and then jump in the New Testament for a bit, probably through the summer, and then come back probably in the fall as we continue up in Genesis. I'm not sure where we learned it as parents or when we learned it as parents, but somewhere along the way, we picked it up. We got really good at ignoring our kids. Now, before you call Child Protective Services, um, our kids are fed and watered and they're, and they're good. They're safe, okay? But um, when you're newly married, you have everything just the way you want it, right? Uh, the house is nice and the remote is where you've left it. Uh, if there's a mess, you must have created it. Uh, there's no noise in the house unless you are the one making the noise, the chores, the chores are done. It's like super simple. It's like easy peasy. And then kids uh, enter into the mix. And you, over time, begin really get good at kind of ignoring uh, the mess and ignoring the noises, and ignoring the food on the ceiling, and ignoring just the chaos that may erupt as you bring a newborn home, or, or maybe you've got more than one or two. And so we, as parents, become really good at kind of ignoring some of those things. Uh, we recognize the really serious cry, but we ignore the other little cries. We're like, ah, that didn't really count. Uh, they're fine. Uh, and then that's a, oh, that's a blood-curdling scream. We, we, gotta, we gotta have to address that one, we gotta go. Somewhere along the way, we became good at ignoring uh, some of those little things around as kids. And I think the same could be true for us as believers. Somewhere along the way, we get really good at ignoring God, at ignoring his voice, ignoring his will. We're aware of it. It's in front of us. But it, just because we're uh, available to it, we may be hearing it, but maybe we're not listening for it and we become guilty of ignoring God or, or not listening to him. So we've got a story today in Genesis chapter 11 that really helps us understand some of the dangers of ignoring God. In Genesis chapter 10, uh, Pastor Dave kind of touched on that a little bit. It, it's this plan for scattering uh, the, the people who uh, are now on the earth. And uh, if you read Genesis 10, you'll, you'll see that uh, this tribe is going here and this tribe is going to go there. But really, uh, in Genesis 11, we see the reason 
for that. In, in 10, we see the how, and in 11, we see the reason for the scatter. Uh, and Genesis 10 gives us kind of a map on how the world was going to begin to float out after the flood. Now, eight people walked off the ark, and so time has passed where the earth is now full of population. There is, there is quite a few people now on the earth. And so as a result of that, uh, God's idea for them was to spread them out. And then one day when he returns is to bring them back in. Now there's a, a foreshadowing here, even in Genesis chapter 10 and 11, uh, that, that God is the God over every tongue, every tribe, every people, every nation. Last week, you heard our pastor talk about, and did a great job talking that we all come from one race, that we can trace our lineage back into the days and times of Noah and his son. But as you read through Genesis, you come face to face with a truth that you can't ignore, and that's this, that God is creator over all people. And in that, we've got to kind of reconcile that. Because I'm afraid if we just kind of peruse through Genesis 10 and Genesis 11 without really talking about the idea of race, we might do the scripture a disservice. Let me tell you, it breaks my heart that we in the suburban south think that those who look like us are somehow better, somehow more deserving, somehow more desirable than those who don't or aren't. And so let me just be honest with you guys. We're, we're in a safe place here at the church. We, we can be honest with God. We can be honest with each other. This is what's called community. There are moments where I feel a sense of shame that our church doesn't reflect the community that it's located in. That all around our church, physically, geographically, there is significant need and significant diversity. Yet in this room and in the room downstairs, most of us look like each other. And I just wonder, if Jesus were to come in the back door, would he ask this question? Where are all my people? You know, the issue of diversity, as we kind of understand the people groups being sent out and scattered among the earth, is an issue for us today. It's not just one of genealogies, but it's an issue for us today. Can I just give you a, a reminder this morning that heaven is not going to look like this. Heaven is going to look very different than this room. That the people in this room represent the majority of us, a certain race, but heaven is going to look radically different. Why? Because God is a God of all people, all tribes, all tongues, all nations. And so it's our challenge as people to send the gospel out to others who may not look like us, may not act like us. There is a sense of diversity in heaven that is not necessarily reflected in his church so the challenge for us, even before we get into Genesis 11, is to ask ourselves, what part do I play in helping our church reflect a little bit of heaven? Be an inviter, be an acceptor. We challenge you to engage in relationships with people who aren't like you. And, and I know that we have all these kind of excuses and ideas and thoughts, but I just want to lay this out here that even Paul Excuse me, even Luke in the book of Acts speaks about this issue, kind of reflecting back even into this time. Listen to this in Acts 17. 
He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. The face of the earth is going to be a repeating reality here in Genesis 10 and 11. Having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God. Right here in Acts 17, we see one of the reasons God wants to fill the earth. His design is that the entire earth may seek him, and they can't seek him all over the face of the earth if they're just seeking him in one part of the earth. And the same could be said even racially. So what challenge for us this morning? Let's be a people of prayer that we're more thoughtful and prayerful about being intentional, reflecting the scriptures and worshiping the God of the nations, not just the God of America, not just the God of the South. We all have a part to play in that. So I'll, I'll jump off my soapbox here. Let's get into Genesis chapter 11. We're going to see the dispersion in Chen, but we're going to see that God's plan for this was really in chapter 9 as he commanded them to go all over the face of the earth. But in 11, they don't. And so as a result of sin, he scatters them. Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 1, it says, The whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and butamen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we, lest we be dispersed all over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city of the tower and the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Verse 7. For let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed from there all over the face of the earth, and they left off the building, the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because, of the, Lord, because the Lord there confused their language all over the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. Now, there seems to be really two issues when it comes to man and humanity post-flood. One of those issues here is they chose convenience over commandment. They chose convenience over commandment. Verse 2 says, they migrated from the east and they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. But in Genesis chapter 9, as soon as they get off the ark, God through Noah gives them a command. And he gives them a command almost several times. In Genesis 9, 1, it says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Then in verse 7 of chapter 9, populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. This was God's instructions were very clear. Multiply, fill the earth, go all over, spread out all the face of the earth, and I want you to fill the earth. Procreation was a reality and a command here in Genesis chapter 9. But that isn't what they did at all. The scripture says that they settled in the land of Shinar. They settled both figuratively and literally, ignoring God's instruction, they did what they wanted to do very deliberately. Listen again to the end of verse 4. Let us make a name for ourselves that we be dispersed all over the face of the whole earth. 
They were trying not to be dispersed, ignoring God's command. They knew that they were stronger together. They knew that, that to be scattered meant that they'd be weaker. They couldn't do as much as a people. And that it would be so much easier if they just stayed together. So very deliberately, they began to migrate from the east as a people, looking for the best place for them to settle down. This is not at all what God had in mind in Genesis chapter 9. And although God called them to scatter and fill the earth, they chose to settle there and call it a day. It was convenience over commandment. Have you ever been guilty of choosing what's easy instead of what God had commanded? I know that I do that. And why do we do that? Why do we choose we over he? Well, I know the God of the universe is awesome and powerful and loving and kind and faithful and gives everything that I need in life and for godliness. Yet, I choose often what is easy over what is right. Easier, it's easier not to meet with Jesus before my kids get up. It's easier to cover up a mistake at work rather than to own it in front of my boss. It's, it's easier to be frugal than it is to be generous. It's easier to judge people than to love people. It's easier to ignore God than to do what he says. It's convenience over commandment. When we choose convenience over commandment, we settle. We settle spiritually. We miss out on God's best, God's design, God's will. Listen, if we, if we believe that God loves us and knows us and has a plan and purpose for us, then we must trust that his plan is better, even though it may not be as convenient. Don't choose easy and minimize God's impact on your life, on your family's life, on your neighbors, your school, your, your city, your community, and your church. When we choose convenience, we minimize the impact of God in our life. But when we choose commandment over convenience, we honor the Lord well. We, we trade and choose the greater thing over the lesser thing. We position ourselves to know and to hear his voice and to not ignore him. Paul had this idea as he was speaking to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. That doesn't sound very easy, does it? And he gives a promise to that because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So the people post-flood ignored the call and commandment of God. They chose convenience over commandment. The second issue they faced was they chose con conceit over compliance. They chose conceit over compliance. Nothing inherently wrong with building a tower or building a city necessarily, but it's, it's why they did it and, and how they did it that really flew in the face of God and, and really was a sin before the Lord. This tower would have been what's called a, a ziggurat, a stair kind of stepped pyramid up high into the heavens. But the problem that the people had was really took place long before they ever laid a brick on the ground. Listen to verse four again. Come, let us build for us a city, a tower whose top will reach all the way to the heavens and let us make for ourselves 
a name. The purpose of the tower was not to glorify God, but to glorify themselves. In fact, so much so, they wanted to build a stairway to heaven, a gateway to the divine, thinking that they were that great. They were to be, in some way, God-like. Building a tower to the heavens, making a name for themselves and themselves only. What an arrogant autonomy. We don't need God. We can do it for ourselves. God's command was procreation, but their plan was self-glorification. They just wanted to do it for their own glory. They had conceit over compliance. So why conceit? A couple things here. One, they attempted to be like God. Let's build this tower, not just a little tower, not just a baby tower, not just a, you know, a teenage tower, but like let's build super tower and make us a name for ourselves. Now, the irony of that is this. There's no one else on the earth. It's just them. They've got no one to really compare themselves to. A little bit of irony, but it kind of gives you a glimpse of the pride that's in their life. Number two, why were they so conceited? Well, there was a focus on self, and the language helps us understand that. Verse three, come, let us make bricks. Verse four, come, let us build for ourselves. Let's make a name for ourselves. And all of a sudden, we see that the focus of the people of God was their own human enterprise. No thought of God, no thought of his commands, no invitation to have him join them in their work. Worse, they didn't ask for his help was an arrogant autonomy. Last, why were they so arrogant? Why were they so conceited? Well, I think three, they, they were powerful. They were a powerful people. The Lord gives an indication of their strength. They were one people, the scripture says. They had one language. There was a unity among them, a force, if you will. There is strength in numbers. And it was their desire to be godlike, to focus on self and their power, which made them have conceit over compliance. Now I know in a room this size, no one else besides me struggles sometimes with authority. Like sometimes I look at a rule and I'm like, I don't understand that rule because it's kind of dumb. If it doesn't make sense to me, I don't want to follow it. Now some of you in the room are like rule followers, whether it makes sense or not. If um, there's a certain TV show, if the GPS says to drive into the lake, you're going to go into the lake because the GPS said so. Me, I'm like, if I don't understand the rule, then I'm probably not likely or, or very begrudgingly going to follow it. When I um, am driving down the street and it's a four-lane road and it's 35 miles an hour, I just want to scream. I'm like, why are we going so slow? Why is the speed limit so slow? I have a problem with speed. You guys will get to that later. When I go to the TSA airport, I don't understand all the rules. Like the shoes, the belt, does it come off? Does it stay? I don't understand that because I, I just don't get it. I, sometimes I struggle with authority. And I struggle with that because I think it doesn't make sense to me. It's about my pride or my need or my desire to go faster, or my desire to make it easier. Pride in our own ability, we pride ourselves quite a bit as a people. And when that pride begins to overwhelm our willingness to be obedient to God, that becomes a problem. We pride how many goals we score, how many A's we make. We pride our looks, we pride our homes, we pride our careers, we pride our own kids. 
We even created platforms to share with others how proud we are of our kids and social media. And then we play the comparison game. And out of that comparison game becomes this little thing called jealousy and bitterness that take over. And it all starts with a sense of pride. And there's nothing wrong with being proud for what you work for. There's nothing wrong with being proud of your family. But when pride ignores God's direction, you've chosen conceit over compliance. And so how does God respond to the human condition here in Genesis chapter 11? What does God do? He sees that the people are ignoring him. He sees that the people are attempting to set up their own arrogant autonomy. What's his response? Well, I think God responds by saying he's got concern before he's going to condone concern before he condones. Let me unpack that just for a minute. I think God expresses his concern to the people and he's not going to allow them to continue on in their behavior. Simply this, God gets involved. Now, what's interesting earlier in Genesis, as the people become more wicked and more wicked and more wicked, and therefore the flood comes, God doesn't get involved in that one. God's involvement is to start over, to protect the eight that are on the ark. But here, he chooses to step in and become very engaged very early. God gets involved in the flood experience. That was his desire to save humanity from themselves. Here again, his desire is to save humanity from themselves. The people want to build a tower, but there's irony here, and I love how this is written in verse 5. They want to build a tower to him, but in verse 5, the scripture says that the Lord came down. It's as if he's saying, listen, you can build a tower all you want. You can build it as high as you possibly can, but you'll never reach my level. So he comes down to them to see what they have done, and then he speaks. This is the only beginning of what they will do, and nothing they can think of will become impossible for them. This is a little confusing at first. If you just kind of read this, you kind of go, okay, wait. Is the Lord saying that he should just leave man to themselves because they'll be able to do anything that they can? They will, nothing will be impossible to them. I, I, I think what the writer's intent here and, and what Genesis is trying to unpack for us is this. That God's concern isn't what they can do, but it's who they'll become. It doesn't refer to the height of their accomplishment in their own achievement, but to the depths of their sin to which they are capable of. God is sharing his concern. He knows that if he doesn't get involved, there's nothing that will be left sacred. No rebellion will be too great. Big, big problems. So God gets involved. He steps into the story out of concern. Praise be to the Lord that he steps into our story to keep us from ourselves. You know, around the room, you might think, you know, I'm a pretty decent person. I'm not as bad as that terrorist. I'm not as bad as the criminals I've read, on t uh, read in, the, in, uh, in the web or on TV. I'm not as bad as someone else. Can I, just, can I just be honest with you that we're not good because we're morally superior. We're good because of God's restraining grace. Restraining grace is the grace that comes from God that keeps us from making more mistakes, that keeps us from sin. 
We'll see this take place in Genesis chapter 20, verse 6. The Lord is speaking to to a pagan king, and his name is Abimelech. And, And he's about to make a mistake with a woman named Sarah, whom he doesn't know that is Abraham's wife. This is what it says in Genesis 20, verse 6. Then God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I, speaking of God, it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. The Lord kept Abimelech from sinning. And I think that's exactly what's going on here. That the Lord is stepping in in a restraining grace, saving the people from themselves. And we see that all over, even in our own time. That, That the Lord created laws that keep us kind of in line. That there's accountability with other people, our spouse, our family, our friends, our church. There's guardrails and and, and safeguards that keep us from making huge mistakes. I I tell men that I meet with all the time, we are all one bad mistake from messing this whole thing up. But the Lord through his restraining grace steps in in ways that I may see, in ways that I may not see to keep me from making those big mistakes. Here, out of concern, he's gonna come. He's not going to condone their behavior any longer. He's not just going to allow them to do that. But in his concern, he's going to step in. And it's gonna hurt. When I was in the seventh grade, I attended Pine Street Middle School in Texarkana, Texas. And I'm pretty sure that the building was built at like the turn of the 19th century. It had like the old radiators in it that would make noise. and. Um, It was just this old, horrible building. And in seventh grade, I had an English teacher. She was uh, 6'2". She was an African-American lady. Her name was Miss Pace. And Miss Pace was a lot of fun until she wasn't a lot of fun. And uh, just kind of her presence and kind of her intimidating nature. And so you didn't want to get in trouble with Miss Pace uh, in her class. Well, I know this comes, maybe harder for you to believe, but I, I talked a lot in class. And so I remember like all the time I'd have to write these long sentences. And it'd be like 100 sentences. And it would not be like I would not talk in Miss Pace's class. It'd be like I would not talk so loud for so long and ignoring my teacher in her class from 830 to whatever it was. It was like this incredible sentence. But before the sentences were handed out, you can't do this in today's school, but you could, you know, 100 years ago when I was in middle school. Miss Pace would walk around the room with a ruler, and she'd beat the snot out of your knuckles. Whack! And, man, I'd straighten up. I'd stop talking to whoever I was talking to. You know, I was in the ready-to-learn position immediately, right? That was restraining grace. She was keeping me from making more mistakes so I wouldn't have to write these horrible sentences. I'll take the knuckle wrap all day long. I don't know where you are. It could be that you feel like your knuckles have been wrapped. Living through some pain. Maybe things haven't turned out the way you wanted them to. I certainly can't speak on behalf of God, and I certainly don't want you to hear me say this and go, oh, that must be true, that God's God's saying. But if God's using this, let him use it. Maybe God is keeping you from future sin, restraining you in some way because he has the best plan and purpose for you. Receive that pain and kind of wake up and start asking yourself some questions. Okay, God, is this you? Have I done anything to offend? Am I walking in sin and not knowing it? 
And Lord, help me see clearly the path you have for me. And that's going to be found in his word. It's going to be found in his church. It's going to be found in community believers. It's going to be found in prayer. Receive the restraining grace God may have for you. That's exactly what they do. That's exactly what happens here in Genesis chapter 11. So God's last response to this whole ordeal is this. We're reminded that God is going to complete something before he concedes from something. God's going to complete before he concedes. So God's response to their sin, he says, hey, come let us. There's an idea of the Trinity here. Let us come down and we're going to confuse their language. That they will not understand one another's speech. So I, I, I don't really know how that happened. It could have been in one moment. It could have been overnight. Could have been over a couple of weeks, but all of a sudden, my friends, I can't understand them any longer. And so the irony there is this, that they had planned to make a name for themselves, but now they can't even see or, or, or hear or understand each other's names, that God had a plan for them. And it was not to settle there. It was not to make a name for themselves. God's plan was for them to be scattered among the earth, to multiply, to fill the earth for his glory, that they all over the earth would seek God. And so God completes the task. You know, God doesn't start something without finishing something. The God that I know, the God in the scripture, the God we sing of is not a God who quits. He's not going to concede. He's going to complete the task. So he confuses their language. As a result, they begin to scatter. And his will and his purpose and his plan is accomplished. They may have chosen something more convenient, but his commandment did not change. It kept going. So how do we apply all this? What now? What do we do with this Genesis chapter 11 and this uh, very familiar tower of Babel story? Well, a couple of things I'd ask, some questions for you. Number one, are you ignoring God? Has God given you something to do that you've chosen not to do? Has God encouraged you to step out in faith, to share the gospel with someone, to be generous in your giving? Has God told you to do something that you've chosen to ignore because it was easier to ignore it than it was to do it? So here's what you do with that. Make a commitment today. I challenge you. We're gonna have a moment of response here in just a minute. In that response, repent of your sin of ignoring his calling. And God, I'll do whatever you ask me to do, no matter what the cost, just show me the way. And be committed to that. Number two, what role are you playing to, to engage in the idea of diversity here at Geyer Springs? Yeah, that's one way we can do an end around on chapter 11, that the people are scattered for God's glory, that they would seek God all over the face of the earth. What role do you play in that happening here? How can you begin to engage a culture spiritually to be inviters and acceptors, to love all people the way God loved all people, to look beyond some things, to see that God is the God of the nations. And it shouldn't just be them over there, but it should be us together that our body would reflect the wonder and diversity of heaven. Number three, are you recognizing God's restraining grace in your life? Are you, are you seeing some things for what they are, that God is not allowing those doors to open, so he's restraining? What is that about? Are you seeking the Lord in that? And then I, I think last, are, are you just ignoring God's call to, to godliness and salvation? You know, some of you, just because we attend church, we go, my, 
we may answer the question, are you ignoring God? No, I was at church on Sunday. Well, church attendance and ignoring God are really two different things. Just because you're here doesn't mean you're listening and obeying. It just means you're here. So the challenge for you is don't judge your, your willingness to be responsive to God on your desire to wake up early and be here on Sunday morning or watch us online Sunday morning. Church attendance has nothing to do with ignoring God. In a deeper, more fulfilling way, we come to church because we've been ready to hear from the Lord. There's an anticipation and an excitement, an expectation he's going to do something incredible here. And so as a result of that, we attend with the community of believers, known as the Vinny Service here at Gower Springs. Don't ignore God's call. God may be talking to you to spiritual growth in your life. He may be talking to you for salvation. Don't ignore that. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day where you make a commitment to follow the Lord and what he's asked for you. Prayer, giving, engagement, salvation. God is speaking. Are you listening? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? And will you respond? Let's pray together. Father, we desire to be a people who listen and respond in obedience. And it's so easy to ignore you. It's so easy, God, to choose self, to choose we over he. And so, Father, I pray that all across this room in this moment, as we're going to sing, let us be reminded of a few things. Maybe here in this moment, as we've heard your word preached, that, Lord, you've pricked our heart to be very thoughtful of not wanting to ignore you any longer, but we need a little help in that. And so, Father, I pray that as we begin that time of worship, that our pastors would go ahead and step out to the side and that there be people here who just need some questions, have some questions, need some answers, need some guidance, need someone to pray with them about a decision or, or about where they are spiritually. There's going to be pastors on the exterior walls here in this room that can just stop and pray and help provide answers, help God. Or there may be business to be done right here in the chair. Whereas we worship you, we're just reminded that, Lord, you call us to something much greater than ourselves. And so, Father, in moments of repentance and confession, we would receive the, the grace you have for us and the mercy you have for us and the love that you have for us. And God, I pray that we never not be guilty as individuals, as families, or even as a church to put our glorification above your glorification, that we're here and we have what we have and the abilities that we have all because of you. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. You are the provider and sustainer of all things. All things were made for you and by you and through you. And today we just rest in that knowledge. Help us to worship you for Father, you are good. You do amazing things. You take the ordinary, make it extraordinary. You take the, what was dead and you breathe life into it. And so, Lord, I, I pray in these moments that we have as we respond to you that you would do just that, either with our pastors as those who will come or, or within the chairs of those who will respond. God, we're asking you and expecting you to do a work among us. Give us courage and give us boldness. Let us be driven in by the Holy Spirit to respond to you in obedience, that you would be glorified, that you would have your will done.
It is not about us. And so, Father, we pray that as we sing, it is all about you. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen.